Great. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. This is my good buddy, Skip, also one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to you. Uh, if you would like to connect with us, uh, if you would like to get into the information loop uh, here at Church on the Rock Homer, uh, you can head over to the info table after the service, fill out a card. Uh, if you do so, uh, they'll have a gift for you. Uh, the gift comes from India and a ministry that we support over there. Uh, There's a story behind that. Uh, that's the practical side of things. On the other side of things, I want you to know, if you are new here this morning, this is your first time, uh, the God of the universe, the same God who sent his son uh, as a baby, uh, has sent his spirit now, which he said was even better, uh, to speak to you and to connect with your heart this morning as you uh, open yourself to receive from him. And uh, I want you to know, too, that every week, uh, our staff, we come together and we pray for this time, uh, that God would use this time and that he would be able to uh, speak to your hearts. So welcome to you. Yeah. And we always anticipate that. That's we always right. expect that. And That's he's right. always faithful That's to right. speak to us. Yeah. So, and today, it's, he'll be speaking through you. So That's let, right. me, let me pray for you yeah. and then cut you loose. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for Aaron. Thank you for your spirit's work in his life. Thank you for speaking to him on our behalf already in the last uh, weeks leading up to these moments. And so, Father, we want to honor uh, his sacrifice. We want to honor your intentionality to come and meet us in this place. I pray that uh, as you speak, that we would um, respond with open hearts, a willingness to obey you uh, and enjoy you, give thanks to you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you're always welcome to head over to the info table. Uh, we have Bibles there. In fact, you're welcome to take one of those. Uh, that would be our gift to you. Uh, also, the Church in the Rock Homer app has a built-in Bible. Uh, if you want to open your phone, not only is there a Bible on the app, but there is a, a spot for note-taking, uh, if you like that. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 1, and I'm actually going to be spending uh, this morning just on one verse in verse 14. But I want to set some things up first. Before I do that, how are you guys doing? You doing okay? Yes? Seth's doing okay? How many of you are excited for the change in weather? It's better than rain, right? I heard rumors of like eight days of nonstop snow, but uh, I heard rumors. The forecast actually is calling for several days of sunshine, so. Uh, I love this time of year. You want to know the highlight of my week? This actually has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. We were sitting at the dinner table a couple of nights ago playing trivia. I love doing trivia with my kids. You ever have those moments where you're like, you're so confident and you're just so wrong? Uh, it is a great joy as a father to see my kids be so confidently wrong. I. I, the question was, the trivia question was, what is the name of the fairy in the story of Peter Pan? And one of my children did exactly this. Uh, oh, Roger. 
If you have not seen Peter Pan, I'll tell you the name of the fairy is not Roger. I want to talk to you this morning, like I said, that has nothing to do with my teaching. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about, uh, I want to talk to you on the topic of reconciliation. Uh, we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks looking at the Christmas message. And um, I have heard over the years uh, that people who teach the Word of God, and I've, I have felt this myself at times, but something is changing with me. What I have heard is that it is the challenge for a Bible teacher to take the same story yet again and make it new and interesting. Uh, I actually no longer feel that pressure. Uh, what I am drawn to is to look at the same stories again and figure out how to apply them again, how to apply them in new ways. What I have found over and over, and I know that many of you have experienced this, is that if you take the core message of the gospel, the love of Jesus as demonstrated not only in his coming, but his death and resurrection, if you take that core message, you have a lifetime of work to figure it out, to, to bring it to bear on your own heart, your own life, and your own relationships. Isn't that the truth? And so we're going to look again uh, at the coming of Christ, and what I want to look at this morning is uh, what I want to offer you, and this is going to come from John, John chapter 1, is uh, four considerations drawing from the nativity, the coming of Christ, uh, that are relevant now to our relationships, and in particular, your relationships where reconciliation is needed. So let me find just really quickly uh, for you reconciliation. Reconciliation simply means to restore uh, friendly relations, uh, to restore friendly relations or to restore harmony in a relationship. Um, all human relationships eventually lose their friendliness. Isn't that the truth? Uh, I remember the first time that uh, God had to teach me a lesson on pursuing reconciliation. Uh, I was fresh out of high school. I was in Bible school at Alaska Bible Institute, uh, which was a fantastic environment for the Lord to work on my heart. I was also working, uh, building uh, cabinets for Phil Clay. Many of you know him. And I was working with a friend of mine uh, there in that shop, and Phil Clay had a family emergency and had to leave town, and so we were working extra hours. And I made a discovery in the intense environment of the cabinet shop. I made a discovery about my friend. I discovered that he was really, really, really annoying. And this began to bother my heart. Uh, it began to work a wedge into our relationship as we spent more time together working longer hours. I was increasingly irritated by pretty much everything about him. Have you guys ever been there? You're going to leave me hanging? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds fun. Haven't you ever had that where, like, friendliness just disappears, it just vanishes, and there's no friendliness left. Uh, 
Jenny and I were so in love when we got married. And then you're married for a little bit and, and life sort of takes on this like pace and cadence that can be overwhelming. And before you know it, in the marriage relationship, friendliness can disappear. I have seen over the years many, many times that as children enter into the late teen years, just, to, just before they're about to leave home, that friendliness disappears in the home between older kids and their parents. Uh, in the workplace, it's the norm for friendliness to disappear. Reconciliation is simply uh, returning or restoring friendliness to a relationship. Restoring harmony, restoring that sense of we're together, we enjoy each other. So let me give you, I'm going to read John chapter 1, now that you know kind of where we're going. I'm going to read John chapter 1, but before I do that, I'm going to give you some historical, just really quickly, a little bit of background, because we're coming into John 1, Jesus coming to earth so you remember Israel, the nation? Remember those guys? Yeah, we've been talking about them. God saved them out of Egypt. And then the rest of the Bible is just them being terrible uh, for lots of books and lots of pages, right? Uh, God rescues them out of Egypt. They, before they even get into the new land that he's promised, they disobey they all die. The next group goes into the land. They sort of obey. And then quickly, they all disobey. And uh, what we see throughout the history of Israel is this gradual decline, moral decline. And as a result, the people are fragmented. And in fact, when Jesus comes, they are in bondage. They've actually been so fragmented, they've been now overtaken by the Romans, and they're, they're essentially not their own people. They are not free. Israel had fallen into sharp immorality again and again, immorality of the worst kind. Israel was fractured, the remnant in bondage. Israel had reduced their faith to matters of political and economic advantage. Israel was a nation of self-righteous, greedy bigots who ruled by oppression, which is, I know, hard for us to relate to today. John 1, I'm going to read you a few verses. We're going to skip a couple, but John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, jumping to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, 
for he existed before me. For his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It's a good passage. There's so much in there, right? We're not going to get to it all. In fact, we're just going to deal with one verse. Verse 14. Four considerations that we're going to draw from verse 14 towards relationships, particularly relationships where reconciliation is needed. You ready? Here we go. Number one, the word became flesh. Everything that God had communicated to his creation up until this point is now molded or formed into human flesh. Everything that was immaterial, the word of God is now made material, materialized before our eyes for us to behold. God's character and his heart towards us, we, we have read about it and we've heard about it. Love, peace, grace, faithfulness. God's character and heart towards us are now made into flesh, a living, walking, breathing picture of God. Colossians 2.9, for in him all of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time but the only begotten God, that is Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So no one has seen God, and yet in Jesus Christ, in the person of Christ, in the flesh, we have from God a picture, an explanation, an illustration of the heart of God. The Word made flesh. The word became flesh and, and, this is a critical and, dwelt among us. Jesus was not an exhibitionist. He was not made flesh and then put on display in a museum. Jesus was not a separatist. He didn't come down from heaven in order to draw a contrast and say, you see the difference? Me and them. Jesus was not an isolationist. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2 talks about this. Although he existed in the form of God, so he's in heaven, Son of God, he did not regard his equality with God as something to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. There it is, in the form of a bondservant, meaning he wasn't just made into a person, he was made as a servant in the context of humanity. His relationship was already defined. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus joined us in every conceivable way possible 
except for sin. He placed himself so closely to our experience that he was tempted in every way that we are. He dwelt among us. He saw our experience from our vantage point. Number three, and we saw his glory. I love this. In leaving heaven, in coming down as flesh, the word of God made into flesh for us to see and then joining us in our weakness, in our lostness. It's in joining us that the glory of God is revealed. It's in embracing our situation, our circumstance, that his greatness is revealed. We beheld there in the flesh, mingling with sinners, with prostitutes, with uh, political criminals, tax collectors, thieves. It was in the mingling, dwelling with us, God in the flesh, that his glory was revealed. That's where we saw it displayed, was in the way, in the flesh, God related to a group of people that had flat out rejected him. Hebrews 1.3, and he is the radiance of his glory, that is Jesus, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Number four, we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Jesus did not come because he was too ignorant to know better. He's full of truth. Jesus did not come because he decided that he doesn't care about sin. He's full of grace. And you need to understand that grace is more than mercy. Grace is more than forgiveness. It's more than love. Grace is the assisting power of God in our lives to help us overcome sin. Second Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. See that connection? Grace abounding in you, leading to an abundance in every good deed. His grace, the assisting power of God in me, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Now I want to teach you an exercise. I want to teach you an exercise that must be, if, you, if this is not a habit of yours, this must become a staple of your plan for spiritual development. It is simply this. In every situation that you face, in every dilemma, in every crisis, that you would look to the example of Jesus, that you would set your mind and heart on him in order to understand how then must we live. Here are the considerations that we need to make, that you and I need to make, drawing from the nativity, the incarnation of Christ, him coming to earth, if we are going to walk in relationships and pursue reconciliation, if we're going to restore friendliness, the first one is this, make the word flesh. Isn't it so much easier to say things like love and peace and kindness and generosity than it is to give flesh to those things, to make them a reality in what my hands and my mouth and my eyes are about doing on a daily basis. Make the word flesh. Take all of the faith claims that you hold to, all of the ideals that you believe a Christian should aspire to, and make them flesh. And it's so much less work to use my words to draw attention to how others don't make it into flesh. The word become flesh. I was just actually telling this story to a friend of mine just this week. Uh, When Jenny and I, in our early years of marriage, got into the weeds... Um, if you've been married for a while, you know what that means. It's you just you're, you're married for a few years, and it's busy, like I said earlier, and uh, you kind of lose touch with a few things, and and maybe you're getting along, but it's not. You, you kind of feel like you've lost track of sort of the ideals of what marriage was going to be or supposed to be. Well, and me and my immaturity. I had developed in my own heart a tendency to complain about my wife. Can you imagine anyone complaining about Jenny Weiser? It's just beyond the pale. And something happened as I learned the discipline of going to the example of Jesus, and this is what happened. I began to imagine making my complaints while Uh, at the foot of the cross of the crucified Christ. It's so hard to love her. She's so demanding. It's so costly. 
the weight of my windiness just seemed to evaporate. And it was as if there at the foot of the cross, that visible display of the love of Christ in the flesh, that Jesus would look down and say, how will you make the word flesh? How will you give your own life at any cost, at all cost? How will all of my beliefs not anyone else. How will all of my beliefs about unconditional, self-sacrificing love, how will that take on flesh? Too many uh, husbands and wives are words but no flesh. How do you learn to make the word flesh? Jesus can show you how. Because he did it. He took it all and lived it out. He walked it out. So my encouragement to you, if you want to know how in your life you can take the word, that immaterial truth of God, and turn it into reality in your own life, look to Jesus and study his example. Make the word flesh. Secondly, dwell among them. We have a tendency to try to prove our point by withdrawing, by separating ourselves, or worse, by elevating ourselves. And in doing so, we end up proving our own lack of love. Wouldn't it be so much easier to turn the, the word into flesh if it didn't have to be in the context of all of the difficult people that you run into in your life? Wouldn't you just be a fantastic wife if it wasn't for your annoying husband? <laughs> wouldn't you be a wonderful parent if it wasn't for your rebellious kids? dwell among it's in the context of that brokenness it's in the context of sin that we insert ourselves the word of God in the flesh dwelling among not withdrawing not separating, not elevating But following the example of Jesus, what did Philippians say was the nature of his dwelling with us? As a servant. As a servant, inserting himself into our situation, into our desperate condition, as a servant, the love of God made flesh there in that place. You could do that now in your relationships. Where it falls apart for us is we insert ourselves with demands and we call it reconciliation. If you would stop doing this and start doing these things, then we would be reconciled. 
Jesus inserts himself as a servant. Over years, uh, a number of years of working with high school students, what I've seen again and again, and it's actually been good for me, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's actually been a warning for me, because I see this tendency in myself. A tendency that I have in my relationship with my children is to insert myself for the sake of correction. Isn't that a fun friend to have around? The one who always shows up to tell you what you're doing wrong. And then we wonder why our kids are exasperated. Dwell among, to enter into their life and their interests. Not sure how to do that. Not sure how to place yourself appropriately in those relationships that are unreconciled. In those relationships where friendliness has been lost. Not sure how to do that? Look to Jesus. He can show you. Make the word flesh dwell among him or among them. And then number three, reveal his glory. When we live out our beliefs, when we walk out our convictions, in the context of those who are unlovable, undeserving, and unattractive to us, we display in a way that the world desperately needs to experience the glory of God. It is his glory. The word made flesh dwelling among us and revealing his glory. Jesus the nativity is made flesh. God, the immaterial God of the universe, made flesh to walk with us. And then he departed. And what did he say to his disciples? Now you will be my body. You will be my flesh here on earth. You will be the tangible visible representation of my character, my heart on the earth. And you will do that in the places where no one would expect it. It grieves my heart when Christians think that they are proving God's glory by separating from people that they don't agree with by separating from people who are too difficult, too annoying, too obnoxious, too not just quite right. God is clearly way too good for this group, and so am I. You say, my goodness, what a challenge, right? What a, what a tall order that I would be the uh, living, tangible, visible representation 
of the heart and character of God and in doing so bring glory to him. You guys feel up for that assignment? Parents, do you feel up for that assignment? Yes. You want to know who God is? Look at me. It's a little intimidating until you recognize, as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, he says, no, it's, it's actually in my weakness. It's in my frailty that the power of God is made known. Reveal his glory. Not sure how to do it. I'll tell you where to go. Look to the example of Jesus. Look to him. Lastly, full of grace and truth. This is so critical, this last piece. It's so easy to dwell among with grace or truth or neither. It's challenging to dwell among with both. It's not dwell among full of judgy condemnation and strong opinions. I heard this said recently. I think it sums it up well. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. We don't bludgeon people with the truth and walk away. We also don't ignore the sin that destroys. Grace and truth. Grace is that assisting presence of God through our lives, into the lives of others, where we come alongside of them in their brokenness, in their hurt, and even in their sin, and say to them, like Jesus has said to us, you have no stronger ally. I am with you against this sin. But I am with you. Full of grace and truth, How do you become full of grace and truth? You look to the example of Jesus as a habit of your life. Look to him, and he will show you how to do it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. For those relationships that you have currently <clears throat> where friendliness has dissipated, the friendliness is gone. You could choose to make the word flesh, to dwell among, to reveal his glory full of grace and truth. And I would suggest that that is the ministry to which you have been called. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Now all of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Motivated by the love of God, at great cost, pursuing reconciliation. You know what I love about doing 
church ministry in a small community. In fact, Drew and I talked about this uh, quite a bit before he came here. You know, when you live in a, in a larger population, which many of you, myself included, at different times have, you realize how easy it is if you lose friendliness to just move out of relationship and move on. You realize how difficult it is in Homer. I mean, some of you I never want to see again, and yet every time I go to Safeway, there you are. There's this pressing effect of small community that some people resent and I love because it forces us to come to terms with whether or not in any meaningful way in our lives, in our relationships, the word has become flesh. Around this time of year, there's always lots of talk about how to make Christmas more meaningful, right? How to uh, sort of recapture the meaning of Christmas. Some of you parents have toyed with the idea of just eliminating gifts altogether. Well, I'm sorry for your children. Here's an idea. You want to capture the heart and meaning of Christmas, the incarnation of the divine in the flesh, be reconciled and stop waiting for someone else to do it. Jesus says, they've rejected me and I'm going in as the love of God in the flesh. Here's my Christmas wish for you, is that in every relationship where the friendliness has dissipated, where harmony is gone, that you would be reconciled. Not sure how to do it? Look to Jesus. He can show you how. Would you stand? We have a couple of ways uh, to respond now in worship. We will look to Jesus and his example through worship. It's one of the ways that uh, God has given us to connect with his heart is through worshiping uh, as his people. Uh, we will have prayer team uh, ministry members uh, over here to this side. If you are currently stuck not sure how to take a step towards reconciliation, today is the day to make that move. They would love to pray with you towards that end. And if you have any uh, prayer requests of any other kind, whether it be a physical need, a financial need, a uh, relational need, they would love to pray with you as well. Uh, there are offering receptacles uh, along the back. Here, uh, we always uh, encourage you to give. It's an act of generosity as part of your worship. And then also this. And this is so critical. Every time that we take the bread and the cup, we are remembering and renewing our memory of 
God in the flesh dwelling among us, his body broken for us. What a great love. So we remember him. Would you pray with me? God, we come into this season thinking about your birth and yet your ministry as a whole was your birth, death, and rebirth, your resurrection. God, give us the capacity through your supernatural enabling grace in our lives to capture the value of the few moments that we have here through our own weakness and dependence upon you that we would put on display your glory as we give flesh to your word, to your truth, as we embody your love those who don't know it and those who do who so desperately need to feel it again to encounter it again God would you send your spirit to compel our hearts to join with your son in the ministry of reconciliation What a great uh, Sunday morning, the whole thing, right? Beautiful message. Thanks, Aaron. If we are going to make reconciliation happen, it will be in living out the example of Christ, the example of Christ on the cross, serving the very ones who has offended him. And another piece of that that's difficult sometimes for us to apply is not only serving the one who has offended us, but serving the one who has offended us even while they continue to curse us, right? Even while they continue to offend us. Just a commitment to becoming the Word made flesh in the lives of the people we share life with, right? Reconciliation, like so many things in the kingdom, is like a seed. And it's our job to sow the seed. And it's the Lord's job to bring fruit out of that. So may you be a people who commit, may we be a people who commit to tuning into the example of Christ on the cross in the lives of the people around us, especially those who have hurt us. And may we live out this Christmas message, uh, the incarnation in those relationships and be reconciled. Well, the Lord bless you this morning as you leave. Let me remind you of uh, house church tonight junior and senior high youth group for tonight. There are things at the information table that you may want to participate in. You might check that out in your way out. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed.